Welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Know More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host, Zach Griffiths, head of U.S. Investment Grade and Macro Strategy. And joining me today is Logan Miller, our head of European Strategy. Thanks for taking the time, Logan. Thanks, Zach, for having me. So you just put out this great report looking at the European market for hybrids, specifically looking at non-financial corporates, leaving financials out of the equation. I think it's a, a very interesting topic. And so just diving right in, what is a hybrid and why do issuers choose to use them as part of their capital structure? Yeah, that's a great question, Zach. So a hybrid is basically an alternative financing vehicle. It's issued by both corporate non-financials as well as financial companies. And it's basically a way to diversify one, the, the capital structure within a balance sheet, and also another way to get kind of a broader group of demand for financing. It allows companies to basically layer in a different level of subordinated debt on their balance sheets. Obviously, that would come with a higher kind of risk premium and, and higher borrowing cost overall relative to senior debt. But hybrids, they are typically issued with a five-year non-call period. They're actually, for the most part, either perpetual securities or they have super long maturity dates. But the way they sort of work is an issuer will, will issue a, pri a hybrid bond in, in the primary market obviously same way that a traditional debt instrument would be issued. But the big thing here is the way that most non-financial hybrids are structured is that the rating agencies give the issuers about a 50% equity credit on hybrid debt. And so they don't count entirely toward the debt balance of an issuer, which helps companies basically manage their leverage ratios and gives them a bit more flexibility when it comes to figuring out how they want to finance their balance sheets. Interesting. And so that's certainly important to companies in terms of how they're treated by the rating agency. I understand that they're considered 50% equity, 50% debt. So all else equal contributes less to leverage than just say your typical senior unsecured. Are they rated differently? And how does that factor into the all-in borrowing costs for those securities relative to something like just a vanilla senior unsecured bond? Yeah, typically... The way the ratings think about it is they'll give them a, basically a two notch lower rating than the senior unsecured stack of the capital structure. Certainly from sort of your traditional financing way to think about it is you are going to be paying a higher risk premium to investors because of the subordination of hybrid securities. So it's, again, it's about a two notch lower rating versus senior unsecured. So that makes a pretty interesting analysis actually, because if you look at the Euro non-financial hybrid world as sort of a whole. Almost all hybrids are issued by companies where their senior debt is actually rated investment grade, but you do still have um, a handful of hybrid bonds that fall into the high yield category. It's about 
a 60-40 split between investment grade and high yield rated hybrids. So it certainly makes it interesting when you're thinking about allocating capital to a specific issuer. You could obviously lend to them via senior bonds at a, at a much kind of lower coupon, or you can move down the capital structure and lend to them for their subordinated debt needs, which would be hybrids, which would obviously cost more for the issuer, but also generate more income for investors. So in your view, would you say this is a more issuer-friendly or investor friendly product when you think about it from a holistic perspective? I think that story has changed a lot over the last few years. You know, we saw a pretty toward pace issuance by non-financial European companies over the course of 2019 and, and 2021 throughout that period. And that was really a, a kind of a result of super low interest rates across the Eurozone. And while obviously, like I mentioned, does cost more for companies to issue hybrid bonds. Well, at that time, the differential between a hybrid and a senior um, security was not meaningful. So really kind of allowed issuers to take advantage of the low rate environment. Again, we saw a pretty meaningful amount of hybrids issued from say 2019 through 2021. So I'd say at that point, it was probably beneficial for both issuers and investors alike, because again, Issuers were able to tack on additional financing, but not consider it entirely debt from sort of a leverage perspective, while at the same time, investors were getting paid more to own these securities. If you fast forward to kind of the current environment, obviously we've seen a meaningful increase in, in interest rates across the board over the last two years due to ECB hiking rates meaningfully over that period. And so it's really call into question the viability of continuing to issue hybrid bonds and continue to maintain hybrids on their balance sheets because it's become a lot more expensive to do so. And almost to the point where if you look at hybrids overall, hybrid yields are right around, call it 6%. If you think about just a few years ago, there were high yield companies issuing senior debt low to low to mid single digits. And so Obviously, the equation has changed dramatically in terms of the way the companies are thinking about hybrids. But nonetheless, I think it's probably a good environment for investors who are looking for yield. And I think that still is going to be continuing to really drive demand over the next few years is that insatiable need for yield. But again, it does come down to what's the risk tolerance of investors. Obviously, hybrids are a much more volatile type of product for a number of reasons, you know, subordinated being the big one. But there's also different risks that kind of hybrids have than necessarily a senior bond would have. So there's really no kind of one size fits all answer in terms of if you're looking for hybrids as an investment. But certainly I think there's definitely opportunities within the market, just given where hybrids are trading relative to senior debt. Interesting. So the dynamics for issuance considerations between senior unsecured and hybrids has shifted quite a bit with the macro backdrop, which has shifted tectonically, I'd say, over the past couple of years. So take us through the issuance trends we're seeing in the hybrids market and maybe contrast that with sort of the overall issuance of your more typical capital structures over the past couple of years. Like I mentioned, the hybrid market was definitely kind of fast and furious and sort of that low interest rate environment that we had for so long. If you look at just total issuance over the 2019 through 2021 period, we saw about 100 billion euros of pricing in the primary market over that three-year stretch. It's actually about 45% of cumulative hybrid issuance 
all the way going back to 2010. So certainly that was a, that was a pretty big development from an issuer perspective. You know, hybrid securities provided an alternative financing vehicle for from traditional methods of financing, like senior secured debt or equity issuance. And but I think fast forward to today, we've seen that volume of non-financial hybrids really come down meaningfully. We've only seen about 40 billion euros in, in total hybrid issuance since the end of 2021 and about 25 billion euros priced in the last 12 months. We think this trend is in large part due to manageable refinancing needs of hybrids approaching their first call dates. Typically, that's when issuers need to decide whether to refinance, redeem, or extend those hybrid securities. But again, it also reflects the reality of surging borrowing costs in over the last couple of years and also the volatile back, backdrop of you know, credit risk sentiment. Just to kind of put borrowing costs into perspective, the average weighted average coupon of, of corporate hybrids issued in 2023 so far this year has jumped to six and a half percent, and that's up from four and a half percent in 2022. And then we hit kind of a decade low in 2021 at about 2.3 percent. So, so the all-in coupon on, on a hybrid issue, and at least from what we've seen issued so far this year, is almost three times what it was just two years ago. And kind of put that from perspective of the weighted average coupon of the the euro in. Euro high yield index today stands at around 4.2%. So it's substantially more costly to issue hybrids. So I think the overall net issuance of hybrids is likely to remain pretty subdued in this environment, unless we get a meaningful kind of rally in, in yields broadly. But it doesn't make sense to, for companies to be issuing additional hybrid bonds. I think they're going to be more concerned about more focused on liability management going forward. So that certainly is going to play into to the mix. And from that liability management perspective, do you see risk that as we approach more of these first call dates that the hybrids are taken out and something closer to 50% of that hybrid outstanding is is refinanced with just a smaller typical bond or are corporates more likely to kind of just refinance at, at these higher rates and maintain that flexibility? in your view, in, in terms of kind of main, managing leverage through that, as opposed to perhaps using cash to, to pay down debt and, and have less debt overall outstanding? Yeah, I think that's a great question or several questions. It really depends on the issuer and what the current shape of the issuer's balance sheet is in. If the issuer has ample liquidity and they're not concerned about rising interest costs and they have low leverage, they're going to be able to kind of keep these hybrids outstanding. But for stress issuers, it's going to be much more difficult for them to continue to refinance hybrids as they come toward their first call dates, which is traditionally what issuers do. I mean, the market standard is for these hybrid securities to be called at their first call date. That's the way that kind of market prices at. But yeah, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how these shake out because there is sort of a mounting wall of hybrids coming due in the next couple of years. It's actually a pretty big step up next year. We see about 22 billion euros of hybrids hitting their first call dates next year. And then it goes up to 26 billion in 2025. And then it peaks in 2026 at around 36 billion euros. So definitely a lot to kind of take into consideration here. That's one thing I think that investors are grappling with because if an issuer does decide to extend their outstanding hybrids past their first call date, I think that would put pressure on spreads overall. Potentially it would put upward pressure on even uh, senior unsecured borrowing cost, because I think 
there's a lot of reputational risk when issue are not calling hybrids like they would traditionally do. But I think it, it also comes down to, again, like you mentioned, leverage. If you think about it, that 50% equity treatment on a hybrid, well, if you decide to replace a hybrid with a senior security, well, you basically have to issue, your leverage is going to be going up and you're no longer getting that kind of 50% equity treatment. So that would add leverage to their balance sheets and, and could potentially impact their, their overall credit ratings, which would make obviously the cost of debt financing more expensive. Yeah, a lot to consider both on the issuer and investor side there. Taking a little bit more of a, a global perspective, are these hybrid structures more common in Europe? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, in terms of non-financial corporate hybrids, definitely much larger in Europe. It's much more considerable part of capital structures. I was actually looking at some of these numbers today and of sort of the European issuers that do have hybrids on their balance sheets, that accounts for about 30% or so of, of total debt uh, that kind of falls in the Euro, IG, and high yield indices. So it's definitely become a much more kind of common financing vehicle over the last decade. And I think part of that has to do with, number one, yields overall in, in Europe being much lower than the U.S. And so instead of a, a company going over and issuing in, in, in the U.S. markets, issuing senior debt at kind of elevated interest costs compared to what senior debt costs in Europe, they can just issue a hybrid bond in European markets at, at a kind of a similar coupon rate. So I think that's one part of it is that just the low rate environment in Europe for most of the last decade. Obviously, that's changed quite a bit this year, but definitely that's one of the big drivers of kind of hybrid becoming more of a common financing vehicle for European issuers. And I think the second point uh, I would make is if you think about financing from sort of overall perspective, the European equity markets are not as deep as the, as the U.S. markets. And so if an issuer is looking to kind of layer on additional financing, I think this is just a pretty good alternative in terms of having the, to raise capital without diluting shareholders. And it's also not, you're not really hurting the senior debt holders either because we're sub and hybrids are subordinated in the capital structure. So it's kind of a win-win from that perspective. I think those are the kind of the big drivers. But again, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these, how these, you know, these instruments play out over the next, next couple of years, next year or so. We'll have to see if issuers decide to try to change their tone toward continue to have these instruments on their balance sheet. And so with hybrids making up such a large portion of the Euro index, or at least relative to what we see in other developed market indexes, how have hybrids performed amid the move higher in rates? I feel like coming into this year, there was a broad expectation for recession in the US, Eurozone, and even the UK. And, and we haven't had that yet. We're certainly seeing more pronounced signs of slowdown in the Eurozone and UK relative to the US that just printed 4.9% quarter over quarter annualized on GDP in Q3. But take us through the hybrid performance recently and factor that into how you expect them to perform going forward. Yeah, again, it's been a pretty volatile asset class as a whole, the hybrid space. And I think a lot of it comes down to overall risk sentiment and, and obviously tightening credit conditions across Europe and globally for that matter. So certainly there's been a lot more volatility in these instruments. If you look at last year, which was really the first big surge in yields, Hybrids certainly underperform in that scenario. I think there was a lot of kind of market expectation that these instruments would be outstanding for much longer than 
initially at the initial pricing date. So I think that's certainly a lot of fear in the minds of investors in terms of extension risk. Again, these are coordinated asset classes. So if the economy is really deteriorating, companies, if they're in sort of a default scenario with weak growth and a weak environment, these hybrid instruments really fall very low on the capital structure. And so recovery values are probably much lower than they would be if, if a higher rated company was to some, suddenly kind of go bankrupt. You obviously have to pay back senior creditors first before you would in sort of hybrid issuer. So it's, it's definitely been a challenging couple of years. Then if you fast forward to this year, when we saw the regional bank crisis in March, that obviously weighed heavily on sentiment toward risk assets. We saw what happened with, you know, Credit Suisse, for instance, where subordinated bonds really took it on the chin earlier this year due to kind of the forced merger between UBS and Credit Suisse. And I think that just had an overall sentiment for the space. So obviously markets have come a long way since that point. Uh, hybrids have actually done quite well over that period. There's obviously some very idiosyncratic events going on in the European credit markets and sector specific weakness. I would call out kind of real estate, for instance, that's going to continue to place a challenge within hybrids. And you can see that reflected pretty meaningfully and overall performance and valuations in the real estate hybrid market. It's been a pretty tough spot. But other than that, I mean, you know, they've actually performed pretty well. We haven't seen any sort of major sell-offs or major concerns from a credit perspective in terms of hybrid bonds. And I think that could continue over the next couple of years. I think there's obviously pretty good value. I think Euro hybrids do trade significantly wide to, to kind of the senior stack. So there's definitely a good value there. And, and like I mentioned, with how high rates are, Euro hybrids are now yielding north of 6%. And if you're sort of a global fund manager with kind of an allocation across different markets, well, that actually looks pretty good on a currency hedge basis as well. If you take into to consideration FX hedging costs, well, for a U.S.-based investor, U.S. dollar-based investor to be buy, buying a hybrid bond, well, you add another 1.5% or 1.7% to that yield equation, you're picking up close to 8% in a hybrid bond, which looks pretty compelling in our view. Yeah, 8%. Sounds pretty good. And certainly with those currency dynamics providing a boost coming from the U.S. and investing abroad, that's an interesting prospect. I guess I just want to finish. I know you kind of took us through recent performance of hybrids. What's kind of your overall outlook for the euro credit market going into 2024? And how does that play into your view into the attractiveness of hybrids as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at our fourth quarter outlook and our preliminary views on 2024, we're actually positioned for a bit of a snapback in, in credit next year. Our view is kind of, we would see some near-term pressure driven by at least elevated rates by the central banks. And I think that was kind of the, the overarching view is that we'd see sort of a risk-off tone at least of the next couple of months. And then we were kind of positioned for a nice rebound heading into 2024, particularly as we think that inflation will continue to come down. We think that central banks are, are by and large done hiking and, and will potentially uh, start cutting rates at some point in, in early to mid time frame next year. So we are pretty constructive on Euro credit overall heading into next year. I know we are looking for spreads to tighten across the board. We're looking for corporate bond yields to also decline. So I think that actually sets up a pretty good place for hybrids to perform. Obviously, the ECB is to cut rates. We do think that we're going to see money coming out of cash and back into risk products. And it's sort of a reversal of the unwind that we've seen over the last two years with really a pretty big mad dash into cash products and out of some of the riskier segments in the market. 
So we do think that hybrids can perform pretty well. Again, I would highlight that hybrids are issued by investment grade rated senior companies. So I think there's a precedence that those companies are going to need to set in order to make sure that, you know, investors can need to provide them with financing. So we remain pretty constructive. Awesome. Thanks, Logan. This has been incredibly helpful. I've learned a lot myself. I'm sure our listeners will find it insightful and, and certainly nice to have that positive outlook heading into 2024. So that's Logan Miller, our head of European strategy. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate your time. And thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on No More Risk Better. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.